Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream. We are live on Rumble where the speech is free and the drinks are complimentary, meaning that if you listen very closely to them, they say nice things about you. That's all we can promise. Spelled differently. Is it? <laughs> that shocks me. I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, although yeah, yeah. Just one is, little uh, vowel in the middle. One little. Yeah, complimentary, complimentary. Really? I know. It's terrible. Wow. Okay. Really irritating that... being a speller, I got to tell you. Wow. It's not as irritating. Mm-hmm. Never mind. No, I know. Um, <laughs> um, yes. So yeah. uh, I'm Dr. Brett Weinstein. I mean, let me say, that's, yes. that's the way with puns. I mean, they don't work if they're not spelled differently at some level. Well, actually, I believe that there are really two categories. There's a category in which they have to be spelled differently and a category in which they that can't be spelled. That causes divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't yet encountered those as far as I can tell, but... Um, Maybe there's something I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so anyway, I was going to say that I am Dr. Mm. Brett Weinstein. You are Dr. Heather Hying. Mm. Um, and here on the Dark Horse Podcast, we sometimes address the question, what is a woman? But we always address the question, who is a woman? Because you are a woman, in addition to being a a biologist. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, yep. Yep. And we I'm, have a I'm one of the half of humans on Earth. A little bit more than half at this point. It's interesting, right? A tiny bit more than half of part, humans on Earth. Partly no. because of the hold my beer phenomenon, which reduces the number of men. Yes. Yes. Um, actually, not not a little bit more than half of humans on Earth are women. A little bit more than half of humans on Earth are female women being adult human females. Uh, so, But we're not actually going to go there today, despite... The uh, cover of Glamour Magazine. Did you see the cover of Glamour Magazine in honor of Queer Month or Pride I Month? I'm sorry, whatever it's called. Yeah, Megan Kelly uh, altering her position on the entire question as a result of it, which I found interesting. Uh, I have not. I have not. Se- she's awesome. I have not seen what she has to say. But yeah, no. This is um, the activists are radicalizing uh, a number of of us uh, who were very very interested in being respectful of people who were respectful and asked uh, to be acknowledged as um, that which they were presenting as. But this has gone a lot too far. But I don't think we're actually going to really go there uh, today. There's a it's a long month. Oh boy, is it going to be a long month? So I'm sure we'll come back to. I guess it's called Pride Month, not. Not I said queer month. That's not right. No, uh, but it's uh, going to be a queer month. But <laughs> it is Pride Month. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why it's a whole month. That seems re- amazing to me. I do not mm. recall the meeting in which we decided that that was the right way to do things. Well, that but... probably wouldn't have happened at the meeting of the patriarchy. No, I think. You know, definitely not. Mm. No, and that's I the only even, meeting I you attend. Don't think we were alerted. <laughs> <laughs> it is. The, I mean, it's the only meeting worth attending at some level. But um, you know, mm. it's it's pretty casual. Nothing so far has been true. <laughs> In the whole history of humanity, no, not one thing? almost nothing that at least I've said <laughs> uh, right. today on, on air. Okay, so we are on Rumble. As you said, you did say that. That is true. We're yes. on Rumble. Join us here. Subscribe to our Rumble channel. Seriously, uh, we are. our clips are going live on Rumble. Our live streams are live on Rumble, as you would expect. And our Q&As are only on Rumble. We will then upload them also to Spotify, but not on YouTube, uh, not on anywhere else. And I, I just want to say... Um, you want to help us out? Signing up for our Rumble channel does that. It's free. You got to sign up for Rumble and then subscribe to our channel. Um, mm-hmm. And anyway, it's not zero cost because it'll take you a few minutes, but it's worth it and it does help us and we do notice. And um, thank you for doing it. Indeed. Okay. 
Okay. Um, oh, so the chat is live on Rumble and only on Rumble. Uh, our our moderator or moderators um, often are are there, um, getting rid of obnoxious and stupid comments. So um, so let's 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 have a high level chat. We don't see it, um, but we hear from people who do, and uh, we're looking for it to be a place where people can go and uh, have conversations simultaneous with with us having our conversations. And we've seen garbagey chats go go good before. Mm-hmm. So um, to the extent that people are still getting their footing, that's fine. But uh, uh, bring it up a notch. Mm-hmm. See how it goes. Indeed. Uh, so we will be doing a Q&A this week, only on Rumble, as I've already said. Um, and with regard to other places that uh, you can uh, find stuff that we're doing, I, of course, write on Natural Selections at my Substack. This week I wrote about a Generation C song between what seemed like overexposure uh, to, to many of us and to many of them as well, uh, posting absolutely everything online, and now it being the young who are, at least in the places where I am frequenting, who are um, most likely to be in masks in public. And it feels like um, potentially a way to sort of claw back some privacy that has been disappeared from their lives, and it's uh, it's there's a sadness that I feel there, but that's, that was the subject of what I wrote about this week on Substack. Um, I would add one more thing. Um, uh, your Substack is excellent, very popular, uh, mm-hmm. and people really love it. Um, I have not yet put anything of consequence there, but I'm going to, uh, you can now subscribe to my Twitter feed yes. if you want some special content. And that is on the way for those of you who have already done it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and we can, um, you can get some, some stuff from darkhorsestore.org if you're looking for, uh, what, what is the dire wolf uh, saying? Uh, saddle up the dire wolves, we ride tonight. <laughs> we ride tonight. <laughs> We've got this fabulous artist who, who draws, uh, uh, who makes, who renders ideas that we have into um, beautiful 2D art. And those are represented in, um, in the gear uh, that we have at the store that is run by these, this wonderful couple in the middle of the United States. Uh, they print it there and they ship it to you and uh, it's all really good. So um, take a look at darkhorsestore.org if you're looking for, you know, Dark Horse merch or Pfizer where the breakthroughs never stop. <laughs> the uh, uh, Epic Tabby, which I meant to bring in the bag that I've got of the Epic Tabby. But anyway, lots of good stuff there. Um, and they, unlike the previous outfit that we had our store on, which did, you know, which had a bigger, bigger platform. And so they were able to, you know, push sales at people more often, but they censored us as you know, YouTube has censored us as other people have censored us. Whereas where we've now got our store, that's not going to happen. So uh, support us, support them, go to darkhorsestore.org. We are supported by you. So in addition to subscribing to the Rumble channel, which as Brett said, requires that you sign up for Rumble, that's free. Uh, and then subscribe to the channel. Also free. Not totally free in terms of your time, but you don't have to put out any money to do so. Um, and the Rumble channel will have both the full live streams and the guest episodes and the clips. And uh, you can also uh, find uh, most of the content still on YouTube as well, where we have two channels, Brett's original channel and our Dark Horse Podcast Clips channel. And we have our Patreons, where just this morning you had one of your monthly conversations, which was, uh, I imagine, 
It was fantastic. Fan- <laughs> it was fantastic. They always yeah. go places that I do not expect, but they are always uh, rewarding and enlightening. And I think that's clear because there are a bunch of people in there who've been there uh, forever and um, and love it. Apparently, wonderful. Wonderful. And we do a private Q&A once a month uh, through my Patreon. We're going to be moving um, some stuff into Locals soon. You can you can join us on Locals, but we don't have anything up there yet. Uh, and uh, through either of our Patreons, you can find our Discord server, where there's a tremendously good uh, community of people who uh, who meet and talk. Sometimes they meet in real life, and they do all sorts of stuff together, uh, including they send us a question, which we start off our Q&As every, uh, every time we have a Q&A with a question from our Discord server. And of course, we have sponsors. Uh, we do three uh, ads at the top of every live stream, and uh, some of the guest episodes have ads too. And we, as we have said repeatedly, are very, very choosy about who we allow to advertise on Dark Horse. And we um, reject many of the sponsors who approach us, not necessarily because um, the products aren't good, but because they just aren't a fit for us. So uh, if we are reading an ad, it's because uh, we really and truly actually vouch for these products. So without further ado, these three... Our first sponsor this week is a new one to us, Fast Growing Trees. Plants are life, and a thriving garden is healing in so many ways. Fast Growing Trees can help you get lush, healthy trees growing on your land quickly. They've got everything from fruit trees to shade trees to trees that provide privacy, and their fast, reliable shipping gets whole, healthy trees to you fast. We had a crabapple tree delivered to us this week from Fast Growing Trees, and I am super impressed. It arrived fast, was packaged beautifully, like so well. I, I, you know, I gotta say, when they first approached us, I was like, really? You're gonna ship trees through the mail? That's gonna be tough. Uh, but uh, the box arrived in perfect shape. It was packaged super well once I got inside. It was clear, you know, how it was secured so as not to move around, but without any excessive packaging. Great instructions on how to open it on the box. It was very straightforward. It was clear to the person who delivered it what they were supposed to do, clear to the person mm. who opened it. it was Nice job. Awesome. Um, it's interesting because I opened the box and I didn't notice those directions. I but, opened the uh, box before you opened ah, the box. Ah, okay, okay. Yep. So I, I, I reopened it uh, and then extracted the plant, which they was zip tied in place. Re-unboxing. Do they? Yes. No, they don't. You do. They should. Mm. By rights. I see. So this tree, uh, which was opened twice and then un- actually um, unzip tied uh, from its from its secure position in the box just the once. Uh, uh, is in is in fantastic shape. For the moment, I've just put it into a pot because I'm going to move it around a couple places in the landscape to see exactly where I want it. Uh, but it's clearly a healthy plant with tons of potential, and we are sold on fast-growing trees. It's really um, it's really a great uh, great company. Fastgrowingtree.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties for your unique climate: Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Whether it's your first home or a seasoned garden, FastGrowingTrees.com has experts in the field ready to support you and your plants for years to come. FastGrowingTrees.com has your perfect plants, shrubs, and trees. With FastGrowingTrees fast and efficient shipping, you don't have to wait in line or haul plants home in your vehicle. You order online, your plants arrive at your door in just a few days, and that was definitely, as I said, our experience with the crabapple tree that arrived earlier this week. And with Fast Growing Trees 30-Day Alive and Thrive Guarantee, you know everything will look great fresh out of the box. Join over 1.5 million Fast Growing Trees customers who are very happy with with their customer-ness. 
with their trees. Right? I skipped some words early in the sentence and I just couldn't recover it. No, seriously, there are a million and a half happy Fast Growing Trees customers. Join them now. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash darkhorse now to get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off your entire order at Fast Growing Trees. All of those words are spelled the way that they're supposed to be spelled. There's no other ways to spell them. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash darkhorse. All right. <laughs> it was a struggle, but we got there. Our second sponsor this week is Seed, a probiotic that really works. Your gut and your immune system work together, coordinating your body's response to the world both around and within you. Seed helps improve the health of your gut microbiome, which means it supports you becoming healthier overall. Our resident gut microbes directly impact the development and function of the immune system. Even before we're born, microbes, microbes, microbes inform our immune system, teaching our body how to distinguish between benign substances and pathogenic antigens, that is, the substances that our body doesn't recognize as its own. You can support your gut immune axis in a variety of ways. One of them is by prioritizing sleep, for instance. Your body operates in a 24-hour cycle, that's your circadian cycle, and new research suggests that the gut micro microbiome has its own circadian clock, and that changes to your normal rhythms can disrupt your microbes and the important functions that they perform. This is one of many reasons that prioritizing regular and sufficient sleep can help keep your gut immune axis healthy. You can, of course, also support your gut immune axis by taking Seed's DSO-1 Daily Synbiotic. That's S-Y-N Biotic. Seed is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic with 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for their benefits. 16 of those 24 strains are specifically geared towards digestive health, as you would expect from a probiotic, and four of the 24 probiotic strains are known to promote healthy skin, for instance. Your skin, like your gut, has its own microbiome. Seed supports both gut and skin health and other systems of health as well. Seed is free from 14 major classes of allergens, including but not limited to sugar, animal products, soy, gluten, peanut, glyphosate, dairy, shellfish, and corn. And Seed is basically double-hulled with its capsule-in-capsule -capsule design. It is engineered to maintain viability through your digestive tract until it reaches your colon, where you want it. And the same design makes it resistant to oxygen, moisture, and heat, meaning that no refrigeration is necessary. You can travel with it, you can have it in your medicine cabinet, uh, you don't have to worry about keeping it cold like you do with most probiotics. Seed's daily symbiotic supports gut, skin, and heart health, and micronutrient synthesis. We have heard from several people who have used seed and report improvements to their digestive function in 24 to 48 hours. I use it. I love it. So start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash darkhorse and use code darkhorse to redeem, redeem, I can't recover that, to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com, S-E-E-D.com slash darkhorse and use code darkhorse. Clinically or scientifically tested. Love that distinction. At some yep. point we should uh, do a deep dive. Yep, indeed. All right, our final sponsor, it will not surprise you to discover, is MindBloom. MindBloom is the leader in at-home ketamine therapy, offering a combination of scientifically robust medicine with clinically guided support for people looking to improve their mental health and well-being. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health issues, those issues may loom large in your life. There is no one-size-fits-all solution, but you know that you and your loved one need something that will help achieve a real and lasting breakthrough. Maybe it's time for you to consider a guided ketamine therapy program from MindBloom. MindBloom could be your next and most successful chapter in improving your mental health and well-being. MindBloom connects patients to licensed psych psychiatric clinicians to help them achieve better outcomes with lower costs, greater convenience, and an artfully crafted experience. 
To begin, take MindBloom's online assessment and schedule a video consult with a licensed clinician to determine if MindBloom is right for you. If approved, you'll discuss your health history and goals for mental health treatment with your clinician to tailor your MindBloom regimen. MindBloom will send you a kit in the mail, complete with medicine, treatment materials, and tips for getting the most out of your experience. After only four sessions, 89% of MindBloom clients reported improvements in their symptoms of depression and anxiety. Reports one client on their site, quote, MindBloom has enabled me to release the hold of negative thought patterns in my life, end quote. MindBloom has guided so many people into a better chapter of mental health and well-being. Right now, MindBloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com darkhorse and use promo code darkhorse at checkout. Go to mindbloom.com slash darkhorse, promo code darkhorse for $100 off your first six-session program today. That's M-I-N-D-B-L-O-O-M dot com slash darkhorse, promo code darkhorse at checkout. Awesome. Okay, we have a number of things all sort of of a piece to talk about today, all relating uh, broadly to health and medicine and and our role as individuals and the role of public health agencies uh, in um, keeping ourselves and entire populations healthy. That's going to be our our large focus today with a, with a bunch of different inroads. Yep. Roads in. We are going to make inroads on some roads in. Yeah. That's how it's done. That's, That's how the pros <laughs> do it. Done. I'm not sure that my English is going to... Uh, doesn't have continue to continue to the end of the episode any earth language will do is my sense yeah i think english is definitely i know that english is definitely where i'm best so i'll, I'll try to stick to english if that's your inroad <clears throat> then use it okay so good lord we're going to start today um by talking about uh this commentary and you can show my screen if you like zach this is published in the bmj uh which is a medical journal uh originally stood for the british medical journal although the official name of uh, the journal is now the bmj uh the editor-in-chief i believe is peter doshi and we've talked before about some of um the excellent work he's been doing at the bmj this is this is one of the few if not the only medical journal that i think reliably uh is uh taking those people and organizations to task that need to be taken to task. And so uh, this last month, it now being early in June, in May, May 15th of, of 2023, there's a commentary published by a David B. Ross, Associate Clinical Professor of Medicine, called The Decline of Science at the FDA Has Become Unmanageable. I'm going to read a couple of sections, and then he is actually responding to a piece that Doshi wrote that we will then uh, talk about as well. Doshi, again, the editor-in-chief, I believe, of the BMJ. Uh, so um, in the section of this piece called Scientific Culture, Ross writes, What accounts for this, dis for this descent into cargo cult science? Much of the blame must go to the FDA's reliance on industry-paid user fees. Over the past three decades, the proportion of the FDA's annual drug budget made up of such fees has risen from less than 10% in fiscal year 1994 to more than two-thirds, fiscal year 2023. In addition, the alluring regulatory flexibilities provided by the FDA Modernization Act of 1997 and the 21st Century Cures Act have become habit-forming, enabling the FDA's leadership and managers to deny scientific reality by defining effectiveness downward. 
In its quest to avoid difficult choices and hard decisions, the FDA has increasingly embraced non-inferiority trials, or vice versa, we'll talk in a moment about what that means, ignoring the serious regulatory, clinical, and ethical problems caused by their misuse. However, the corruption of the FDA's scientific culture remains the primary culprit driving the deterioration of safety and effectiveness standards. That is, Ross walks through a number of the perverse financial incentives that the FDA is wrestling with since uh, a, a radical change since 1994 uh, and says all of that is true, but it's actually the lack of uh, the corruption of the scientific culture at the FDA that is largely to blame for the FDA, basically. And again, the title of this piece is The Decline of Science at the FDA Has Become Unmanageable. Uh, he writes, the corruption of the FDA's scientific culture remains the primary culprit driving the deterioration of safety and effectiveness standards. During my tenure at FDA, managers would admiringly speak of crafting and approval as if it were a skillful demonstration of regulatory ledger domain rather than an act of scientific fabrication. So that is, um, that's a lot of claims that I did have. I'm, I'm going to link to this piece, of course, uh, in the show notes, um, but I haven't yet explained how he how he gets there like on what basis uh is he making these arguments and one of the prime um examples that he uses is uh one that doshi wrote about in the bmj on the same day as that piece was published did you want to say something before i get there or well there's there, there's a lot i want to say why don't you get where you're going and then we'll uh put it all together all right okay so um again my screen if you will uh, this is uh, that last the last piece, which uh, these two pieces are linked. They're published on the same day in the same journal. That was a commentary. This is called a BMJ investigation. Um, this one written by Peter Doshi, senior editor at BMJ, called "Did the FDA break its own rules in approving the antibiotic Recarbrio?" FDA scientists said that they couldn't draw any inferences from the clinical trials for a new combination antibiotic from Merck, but the agency approved Recarbrio. But the agency approved Recarbrio. Anyway, okay, so Merck is one of the big, big pharmaceutical companies, of course. Now, we're, we're still, we're, we're going to do this for a little while here, Zach. Um, <clears throat> Merck is one of the big pharmaceutical companies, um, <clears throat> along, with, along with Pfizer and, and, and a number of others. And they apparently have a, uh, a generic antibiotic, which uh, does a lot of good, and which is uh, a 40th as expensive as this newly proposed drug. So just a few sections from this, uh, this investigation by Doshi and the BMJ uh, a couple of weeks ago. Despite the absence of any clinical studies to provide substantial evidence of its effectiveness, the agency approved the drug, a product 40 times more expensive than an existing generic alternative. So this new antibiotic is um, basically th three, three drugs in one. Uh, the generic uh, that it is being, being suggested to replace in some cases being a drug uh, that is you know, out of patent and um, still effective. Uh, but we are, we are supposed to believe um, this one is perhaps better. Well, how do we know that? Instead of testing the hypothesis, Doshi wrote, of Recarbio's possible superiority over imipenem, that's the generic that it may or may not replace, in patients lacking treatment options, Merck's trials tested a non-inferiority hypothesis in patients who already had effective options. Non-inferiority is an awkward term indicating that the CUTI trial, that is um, cr uh, chronic, sorry, that is complicated urinary tract infections, 
Non-inferiority is an awkward term indicating that the complicated UTI trial tested whether adding relibactum to imipenem did not worsen the efficacy of imipenem by worse than 15%. So let's <laughs> let's just <laughs> say that again because I was stumbling <laughs> over some of those words which I'm not totally familiar with. Um, they've got imipenem, again, I may be mispronouncing it, as the generic that Merck already makes but is out of patent and so is now quite cheap. They are pushing this new, this new drug, uh, Recarbrio, uh, through the FDA on, uh, on what basis? Well, it's, it's not even totally clear because they're not doing superiority trials. They're not even apparently claiming that this is better than what is already out there. What the trial, the testing that is being done is this non-inferiority trial in which they are assessing whether or not this new drug, which is imipenem plus some other stuff, is worse than what's already out there. A classic rationale, Doshi continues, for doing a non-inferiority study is to test experimental interventions that may offer non-efficacy benefits, such as improved safety or greater convenience, as a trade-off for some loss in efficacy. Remember, this is a drug that is 40 times more expensive than the existing drug. Um, there is no proposal that it has improved safety or greater convenience. In fact, it couldn't possibly have greater safety uh, because it has the original drug plus two more, right? Non-inferiority trials, Doshi continues, are therefore not designed to address the question of improved efficacy over existing drugs, but rather to test that any loss in efficacy doesn't exceed a level deemed clinically acceptable. The FDA's review memorandum noted that the agency generally accepts 10% worse efficacy for non-inferiority studies in complicated urinary tract infections. However, Merck chose a 15% worse efficacy cutoff. Why did they get to decide? allowing as many as one in seven patients to potentially have a worse outcome and still declare the trial a success. But the trial results didn't even meet Merck's 15% worse target. For the complicated UTI indication, efficacy results showed that Recarbrio, quote, could be as much as 21.3% worse than the control group, the FDA wrote. So this goes on and on and on. You would think, maybe, that given that the, the wrong test was done, with a lower standard than the FDA prefers, and they failed even at that lower standard, that the FDA might say, you know what, no guys, not, not this time, but uh, that's not actually where we go. Okay, so that's the last thing I, I um, you, can, you can give me my screen back, that's the last thing I actually highlighted in here. Um, but no, they, um, they went ahead and approved it, despite there being um, no tests for superiority, and they failed <laughs> the test for inferiority. <laughs> And um, so wait, no, no, they set an insane standard for a new drug combination. Yes. Failed to meet it mm -hmm. and approved it anyway on the basis of nothing. Why would you want a new drug that combines an existing drug that is now quite cheap because it's out of patent? That is that existing drug plus a couple of other th things. Well, maybe it's more effective. Maybe it works for conditions like complicated urinary tract infections for which sometimes the original drug, in a, I've forgotten what it is, imiprenum or whatever it is, um, isn't always effective. That's what you would want to know. Does this work in those cases for complicated UTIs, for instance, uh, that the original now generic drug doesn't work? Well, we don't know. Because they didn't look. What they looked at was they took patients who 
didn't have complicated UTIs, who did not have situations that could not be treated with the existing cheap generic. They took patients who could very effectively be treated with the existing generic. They then did not see if this new combination is better than the existing drug. No, they did a non-inferiority study. And not only that, but they didn't use the standard that the FDA has set. They used a lower standard yet, and then they didn't meet that standard. And yet the FDA said, you go, girl. Like, <laughs> go for it. We're going to go ahead and approve this drug. There's so much here. I know. Somewhere in the history of Dark Horse episodes, there's an extensive discussion of what I called uh, the game of pharma or the pharma mm -hmm. game, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea was something along the lines of you get intellectual property rights over a molecule, you find some condition that it plausibly treats, you uh, run studies that make it look effective, you uh, uh, game the studies enough that it triggers the threshold where you have to give it to everybody so there's no control group and you can't right. find the adverse effects, whatever, right? Right. This is a whole new level it seems of the to pharma be. game, right? Yeah. Because first of all, you've got a drug that works that the pharma company doesn't like anymore because they can't make much profit. It's out of, pro it's out of patent. Mm -hmm. How can you get it back in? Well, there's lots of games you can play, right? You can slightly modify it and it may ruin its uh, efficacy a little bit, but the point is maybe it retains enough efficacy in its new form and you can plausibly claim that it has some advantage, yada, yada, yada. There's lots of ways to do yeah, that. It does keep profits up. Here's another way to do it. Mm. You take the drug that doesn't work or that does work. It does work. And It you, does work, no, but it's on. out of patent. You take it mm -hmm. and you put it in a novel combination. Now that's patentable, mm -hmm. right? Sure. The point is the things you put it with don't have to work. Because you got a drug in there that works. Mm -hmm. You couldn't patent it. It was out of patent, so you couldn't profit from it. Now you can profit from it again, mm -hmm. right? And the problem is now you got to get through the FDA a whole other time. What are you going to do? Well, there's a test that the FDA uh, has called non-inferiority. That seems weird. Why would they have such a dumb test? Oh, there's a very good reason for that test. And it has to do with the fact that, you know, maybe you're allergic to a particular drug. And so you want some other drug. And you would accept the fact that it doesn't work as well mm -hmm. as long as it's not too much worse, yada, yada, yada. So or I can imagine a situation where, uh, like, the original drug is very effective, but it needs to be refrigerated. Right. And so we want we want a different drug for the same problem uh, that can reach rural areas where areas without refrigeration, areas that have been ravaged by a hurricane, right? So you you, you want something. There, there are there are reasons to do non inferiority studies. Right. Sure. Right. There are reasons to do non inferiority studies. For example, the two mentioned. Right. You've got. Uh, it could be that you're getting a cheaper drug, so you'd be able to treat more people. Maybe the drug is so fantastically expensive it can't be used, but something a little bit inferior that's a lot cheaper, that'd be cool. Or something that's safer, something that has a different mechanism of action. Safer is good. Mm -hmm. yeah, I would accept less efficacy if I was safer in taking it. All oh, those are both great rationales. I like but safer. here, you're taking a test that is appropriate to that situation where you might be able to achieve cheaper, safer, or both with mm -hmm. not too much inferiority. And you are using it in order to produce a drug that is more expensive and inherently more dangerous, not just not safer, inherently more dangerous. Because, and how do we know that? Well, A, it's got the original drug in it. So if you were allergic to that, you'll be allergic to this. But also... It's got two new drugs It's as got well. two new drugs. Mm -hmm. And what don't we have on these two new drugs? Is any long-term data over what happens if you take them? I don't know. I don't know, actually. I don't remember if the two other things are also compounds that Merck has already you know, put out into the universe previously. Well, at um, least with the methodology described, there is no reason to think you couldn't do this with a brand new molecule we knew nothing about in sure. order to get it into circulation. You would get some efficacy because it's mm -hmm now been fused with something that actually works. But and just like, like 
Antibiotics. Antibiotics are, are tricky, are remarkable, right? Like one of the great successes of Western medicine. Antibiotics, when um, used when when used too frequently or um, in in too dense a population, probably will breed antibiotic resistance, of course. And so the idea that you might have, and you know, the, they give a couple of examples here, but the one that, that Doshi writes about most is for the case of complicated urinary tract infections, which are complicated perhaps in part. Um, do, they are called complicated because they are resistant to many antibiotics. It's possible that that original, now generic, very cheap antibiotic that has been effective against many UTIs is not in the case of this particular patient who's got a complicated UTI, and so we need more kinds of drugs on the market. And maybe that original antibiotic, plus a couple other things which help nudge it in the right direction, might actually do the trick. Obviously. You need a superiority test there, not a non-inferiority test. Obviously. 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 Right. Um, and a couple points. One, the triple drug cocktail. My guess is this is actually responsive to the irresponsible use of antibiotics that has created resistance in the first place. So mm -hmm. pharma creating a niche for its own novel compounds because the original compounds, it's like a kind of planned obsolescence, mm -hmm. whether it's planned or not. Um but, <clears throat> and then I guess the question is, okay, so you've approved this new drug cocktail mm -hmm. that is expensive, inherently more hazardous because it contains things that are potentially novel or at least a novel combination. Mm -hmm. So we don't know anything about what long-term happens to you if you do that, something that might be detected clinically, right? Yeah. Um, so they do this and then what's going to happen this is now approved my guess is merck stops making the generic right it doesn't actually change the production because they're still using the molecule but now they've got a whole new rationale for using it in an expensive form mm -hmm. so the point is this is this all speaks to a single underlying truth which is pharma if it was ever interested in health has long since abandoned that mission and has become a mechanism for leaping regulatory hurdles by altering the landscape, by co-opting the referees, whatever it's done, getting stuff to market, getting it labeled as standard of care, whatever it's going to be done, right? In order to make a profit at arbitrary health expense and arbitrary financial expense to the customer. But I guess the... the the surprising thing, I, I, I'm surprised that I continue to be surprisable. The surprising thing to me here is not that that is what Merck is doing. Of course, that's what Merck is doing. Merck has a responsibility to its own bottom line. They are not in the business of pharmaceuticals because they fundamentally care about human health. They are in the business of pharmaceuticals because they are in business, right? What is surprising to me here is not what Merck is doing, but that the FDA which is the regulatory agency which is supposed to be protecting us, American citizens, is not just com com complicit, but actively aiding and abetting uh, the, the, the work of a business to, uh, to impoverish and presumably make less healthy the citizenship, the citizenry of the United States, right? So, um, well... I just want to say, on the one hand, this is completely shocking from the point of view of citizens who are 
depending on an FDA we don't understand to protect us in the case of pharmaceuticals that we all encounter at some rate, right? So you absolutely expect that this thing has your back because that's what it was set up for. The problem is this is a classic case of adaptive evolution and a niche, right? And to the extent that pharma actually influences the political environment, it also shapes the niche, which then shapes the FDA, which then regulates or fails to regulate or facilitates, in this case, what the pharmaceutical company is doing, mm -hmm. which goes to what I'm going to call the fee paradox. Fee? Oh, F-E-E, fee. -E -E, fee. Yep, fee Not paradox. as in fee-fi-fo-fum. Oh, that too. Okay. I don't know if that's spelled differently. I don't Probably. care, actually. I, <laughs> no, I think don't. it's fine either way. Um, but the the idea, right, you as a, I don't know, a citizen of the realm who recognizes that pharma is, you know, being facilitated by the very existence of civilization and the very existence of the expensive medical architecture that we have built, and that they maybe ought to pay their fair share of the regulation of their industry, right? And so you set up a structure where they have to pay for the work of figuring out if their drugs are safe. It's only fair. Right. And the point is, actually, I don't want those people anywhere near the process of figuring out if their drugs are safe. I, I want them to submit drug and yeah. walk away because they're not allowed in the room. They're not allowed to tell anyone anything about whether or not this thing is safe. And then I want yeah. people who are paid to remain independent to test the safety of this thing, yeah. to debate what the rational standard would have to be, to debate what the standard of care ought to be, right? That, those two things, there needs to be what in business would be called a Chinese wall or something that separates the production and profiting from these molecules, from the testing of whether they are safe and the decision about whether or not they should be given to a position in X, Y, or Z situation. Right. It's. I mean, it's maybe the least interesting part of this story, but uh, because they failed even the standard that Merck set, but the FDA sets a standard of 10% for non-inferiority studies, and Merck used 15%. What is Merck used? Like, why does right. Merck get a say? Why is Merck doing the work at all? But how did how did we get here? Like, what what, well, is, what is actually going on? This is this is remarkable. We got here. I mean, as always, if you set up a system that has the basic characteristics for adaptive evolution to happen, it will happen. And what we've got is a system in which, because we did not specifically engineer it to avoid evolving in this way, of course it will. Yeah. And, you know, that's what happened. And the problem is that if you're like most people, you are at best aware that there is some undue influence of these companies, right? And you think, oh, that's really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But you think it's a perturbation on the system rather than you think it's a parasitism when it's actually a parasitoid it has destroyed the system that is looking out for your health and it's actually actively putting you in danger mm -hmm. and in this case we know that it's putting you in danger not only are you now going to have a drug combination on the market that is inherently less safe because we don't know what its long-term implications are but by making it more expensive you're pricing a certain number of people who need drugs out of the market. 
Mm-hmm. And so the the point is, this is not about delivering better health to people. No. This is about delivering more profitable care, irrespective of its effect on your health. That's right. So um, in considering this reporting that Doshi did, I thought, well, let's just go see how the FDA presents itself. So I went to their webpage, and you may show my screen here, Zach, until I tell you to take it off, show it for a while here. And this is the front, this is just FDA.gov, U.S. Food and Drug Administration, help stop the spread of misinformation. You can help get the facts from the FDA, stop the spread of false rumors, and share the facts with your loved ones. When I um, click on that, I'm just, I've got a screenshot here, um, how to report misinformation online. This is the FDA. The being, FDA? Mm-hmm. We face, this is the top thing on the, on the very front of their website, how to report misinformation online. Remember, this is the same FDA that just approved a drug for which they have no evidence that it is actually better than the existing drug. We face the challenge of an overabundance of information related to our public health. Overabundance of information. Some of this information may be false and potentially harmful. Editorial comment. Yep, a lot of that's coming from you guys. Inaccurate information spreads widely and at speed, making it more difficult for the public to identify verified facts and advice from trusted sources, such as the FDA. However, everyone can help to stop the spread. Yes, they did. Everyone can help to stop the spread. Yes. Not of viruses anymore. It's misinformation that we're stopping the spread of now. That's the real killer. If you see content online that you believe to be false or misleading... There's a typo, but okay. To be false or misleading, you can report it to the applicable platform, and they have helpful links to Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, WhatsApp, and YouTube. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, FDA. Now- You know what's not on that list? Rumble. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Okay, so stay on my screen here for a moment. That's remarkable. Yeah. That is remarkable. That is the top thing on the FDA's site. That's what happens when you click this little read more button. Okay. Okay. Let's go down. Let's see what else the FDA has in store for us. Sun protection options for all ages. Get our expert tips on how to stay safe in the sun for every stage of life. From sunglasses to sunscreen, find the way that works best for you. Now, I'm not going to read through this whole thing, but I will tell you this. The FDA, which just approved a drug on the basis of no evidence that it is better than an existing drug, but the new drug is 40 times more more expensive than the existing drug, is promoting two things primarily on its site at the moment. Calling in misinformation when you see it and trusting only verified facts that you get from places like the FDA, and all of the dangers of being in the sun. Here's the way that you can protect yourself from the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun. It's super dangerous. There was literally nothing in this article I searched mentioning benefits of the sun, vitamin D, near-infrared radiation, anything about the fact that actually we need sun exposure to be healthy. Nope. The FDA, much like the WHO last week, we talked about the WHO last week, and they're getting up on their high horse about salt. It's salt that's the enemy, not the experimental treatments that you forced almost everyone on the planet to take. Nope, it's salt. Well, the FDA is pushing a new hyper-expensive antibiotic on you, which we don't actually know if it's safe or effective, and warning you, because it is an agency that cares about your health, to make sure to stay out of the sun no matter what. That is our public health apparatus as it stands in 2023. 
obscene. It is obscene. And I, okay, am I seeing a mirage or what? You've got an agency that's supposed to be on our side that has been captured by the thing it's supposed to be regulating and is clearly working for them. Yep advocating a monolithic approach to sun exposure that will make people unhealthy across the board because of the wide number of processes in which vitamin D appears to be an important player, creating ill health, which then will result in the prescription of drugs that these people make. Did I imagine that? No. No, you did not imagine it. It's um, If you had said that to me 20 years ago, I would have said, "Come on, man, yeah. stop!" But no, twenty minutes that's ago, that's not going to happen. Twenty minutes ago, yep. Twenty minutes ago, it 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 didn't begin to make sense, but it did begin to feel like reality. So, and that's an important distinction. Okay, again, things that seem like they would have to be mirages, right? Okay, the CDC didn't botch the job when it came to COVID. They got it upside down. You did, yes. If you did the opposite of what they told you to do, you'd be way better off, right? Yes. You should be at the skate park. You should be at the beach. You should treat the disease early. You should take vitamin D. The opposite of their advice was the right thing to do. Yep. This idea that the FDA is recommending that you avoid the sun. And mind you, I'm not telling you to get a sunburn, right? right? Sunburns are bad. There are ways to avoid sunburn. Sunscreen may be involved, but you want to be very careful because A, it actually is a complex chemical compound that enters your system more than likely, depending upon which version you have. If you're spraying it on, you're going to be inhaling it. All sorts of hazards that go along with it, right? It should be dealt with very carefully um, and it should be dealt with sparingly because you want to have, as we talked about uh, at length during during the pandemic, what that whatever that even means, right? Vitamin D is essential. It is best produced on the skin. We are almost all who live at high latitudes deficient, especially during the winter. They are giving, they are committing malpractice on their site, not telling you at the very least, sun exposure is a trade-off. Tumors are a hazard. You need to avoid tumors that are Mm -hmm. induced by sun exposure. Short of tumors, you need to get sun exposure so you produce enough vitamin D to be healthy and fend off disease. It's simple. It needed to be said, and it's not said. And that is, um, you know, I, they're, not, they're not doctors, so I guess it isn't malpractice. It's, uh, you know, criminal negligence or something. But um, Well, I guess I wonder. Um, I wonder about beginning to use the word treason. It's a public health agency paid for by our tax dollars. Uh, and I did not find a mission statement. I'm Probably there's one on their site. I got I was so shocked at the misinformation and sun stories that were at the top of their site that I stopped there. Um, but it seems to me that their mission has to be related to um, protecting the health and well-being of the American public uh, who paid their bills. And they're doing the opposite. We've got th- you know three stories today, right? Uh, Doshi's reporting on their their pushing through of this drug for which uh, they don't have the evidence, and that's that's putting it nicely um, to have pushed it through. And then they have the FDA um, saying that you really need to get your facts from 
from them and maybe a few other sources and report misinformation that you find online and uh, then arguing that uh, any and all sun exposure is bad. Like literally not a mention, not, not even a throwaway phrase in this piece about uh, the benefits of, you know, they, they, they could have done it. They could have said benefits of limited sun exposure, yeah, you, know, sun exposure. Ab, you know, before 10 or after two, you know, you know, and, you know, I don't, I, I don't buy that either, but they, they could have done it in a way that at least wasn't egregiously anti-scientific and known to oh. just about everyone at this point to be bad health advice, protect yourself from all of the sun at all times. No. Just, just, no. So who, like, what is their job? What do they understand their job to be? And if they, and if their job is, as I think it must be, as, a, as an agency funded by American taxpayers to, to work for us, and they are actively providing uh, information that is bad for us, maybe it's too strong a word, but it feels treasonous. Well, I'll push back a little bit on that, not because I don't think in the aggregate it is, because yeah. it obviously is. Um, the question is, how does it happen, right? Treason is mm. something that individuals are guilty of, right? And it, does, it requires intent or no? Yeah, Okay. it does. Um, the problem is there's an awful lot of uh, the banality of evil where people who are doing something narrowly end up as part of an evil structure, right? They end up staffing something and you know at the point mm -hmm. that you're manning a gas chamber you're guilty right mm -hmm. at the point that you're filing paperwork for the equipment that is involved in creating gas chambers it's a different question right you should know but do you it's possible that you don't right and cognitive dissonance is powerful right and part of the game that's been played on these agencies is they are I, in my opinion, deliberately underfunded, right? So they're, they're stressed. So as to fund the IRS. Right. But they're deliberately underfunded so that they have to cut corners, so mm -hmm. that they are grateful for the fees that they get from the companies that they are then supposedly regulating. Right. They can't attract the best talent because the jobs don't pay well. And so the point is the whole thing is built to produce this outcome. But I, yes, you, all true. I don't even know what the best talent means at this point. You know, the, the, yeah. the schools are so bad. There are a lot of people who have the appropriate credentials who would look at that piece on the sun and say, well, yeah, of course you have to stay out of the sun. Oh, you know, we're, we're, we are probably killing people again by suggesting that you need to be out in the sun. Like that's going to be the insane criticism wow. that, that, that comes our way because we are saying, look, this one doesn't even require that much nuance, but there are trade-offs and nuance is required. And if you're going to pick a single metric, a single answer it's go out in the sun, but actually a single answer isn't the right one. It's moderate and mitigate and pay attention to how you feel and don't burn, but yes, get exposure to the sun on your skin and generate vitamin D because that is the best way to do it, better than eating it in your food and it's hard to get in your food. And that way you are likely to improve your health far more than most medicines you could take. 
I agree with that perspective. I also think that once again, we are in a position to do a vastly better job, right? What they have effectively done is they have given you advice that at, if we are maximally generous, focuses on one parameter, your likeliness of triggering a melanoma from a sunburn, right? If, if that was the only health consideration, then the advice to effectively get yourself out of the sun, and if you can't get yourself out of the sun, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, use sunscreen to block out as much of the sun as you can, mm -hmm. right? We can also say that much as the insanity of the recommendations that came uh, uh, in the pandemic um, was visible in the complete failure to risk stratify anything, right? right. The point mm -hmm. is, oh, get your shot really? I'm seven and I'm healthy and I'm a boy and I would get myocarditis more likely from your shot than I would get from... Uh, Anything else I could possibly do. Right. So uh, we're not going to, you know, exempt the seven-year-old healthy child. We're not going to exempt the person who has natural immunity from having already been infected and gotten, gotten over it, right? And then in this case, the sun exposure thing. Did you find anywhere in looking at their site on ways to avoid the sun... Anything that mentioned the fact that depending on your race, that this is a very different consideration? Because there's another one of these, mm -hmm. just as with COVID, your risk from COVID went up with age and your risk from the shots uh, went up with youth, right? We have a case here where your risk of vitamin D deficiency goes up with uh, the darkness of your skin. So, you know, telling people avoid the sun, use sunscreen, you know, does that make sense to tell a, a black person whose ancestors come from close to the equator, who's, you know, moved to Minnesota to avoid the sun? No, no the answer is not. actually you're in danger of vitamin D deficiency. Right. And you're probably in essentially no danger from skin cancer. Right. Right. So they say they have two mentions in this piece. One sentence, people of all skin colors are at risk for this damage. Okay. okay. Uh, the second one is slightly better. People of all skin colors are potentially at risk for sunburn and other harmful effects. Same article, right? The first sentence I read said everyone's at risk. The second sentence uh, says people of all skin colors are potentially at risk for sunburn and other harmful effects of UV radiation. So always protect yourself. Be especially careful if you have pale skin or blonde, red, or light brown hair. So Yeah, it doesn't. First of all, it doesn't get anywhere near. But there's never anything. There's nothing positive that I that I saw in here, and I didn't by searching all the terms I could possibly think to, which which ever suggests there is a moment when there might be a benefit to you for being in the sun without being protected. Yeah, which is yeah, which is bonkers. Yep. So that's the FDA. Yeah. Yeah. Last week we talked about the WHO, um, and uh, wasn't any better. Wasn't no, any all, all of the agencies have to be captured. Otherwise, it, it's a it's a zero as a special number question. Mm -hmm. Because if there was an issue, uh, you know, I mean, in some sense, the British Medical Journal is the weird exception, right? Sure is. It's a journal in which you've got a, an editor who's wide awake, who's yeah. talking about, you know, the absurdity of what's going on at the FDA. That's a threat to mm -hmm. the FDA and uh, pharma for which it shills. And and um, I don't know, I I. I I hope Doshi succeeds in mm -hmm. uh, in his mission. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, can I say pivot, or is that is that a word that we don't use anymore? Um, 
I it feels dated. You know, every so often mm-hmm. somebody will declare that um, there's a word that if you use it, uh, you're obviously a hack. And sometimes it's a word that I think we even started using early, yeah. you know, the valence that something has, right? That's now been declared uh, beyond the pale somehow. These people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think I think we can pivot. Okay. Well, pivot is not a word that we started using. So I feel, you know, when it when it comes out of like Silicon Valley culture and it feels like oh yeah that, that kind of makes sense it, yeah I'm, I'm i'm willing to abandon it at the point that it feels like it's overdone yeah uh, but let's uh let's move on <laughs> uh let's move on before circling back oh god <laughs> uh you wanted to talk about uh a piece that uh rav aurora uh, published yeah, this week. Yeah, exactly. And you, wanna... you might want to uh, explain a little bit about who that is and what's going so on here. So Rav is a very interesting guy. He is a young journalist um, who, by his own accounting, uh, sort of fell into journalism, I think, out of high school. And he has done an excellent... Did he hurt himself? Or... <laughs> um, that sounds dangerous. No, I think he's 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 gifted in this way. He probably rolled and... Yeah, yeah. You know... Learning to fall. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so Rav has been increasingly on the uh, COVID beat and in particular has been chasing down evidence of um, adverse events and patterns and, and the like. And, 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 and was, given his demographic, I think particularly interested in uh, the rates of myocarditis among young men who received the mRNA vaccines. Yep, absolutely. And he has of late teamed up with uh, Jay Bhattacharya. Uh, their endeavor is called False Consensus, I think. I don't know. Um, illusion of Consensus, which uh, this is something uh, Jay and I have uh, bonded over, the idea that the draconian measures that uh, were deployed by the officialdom just created a huge penalty for stepping out of line, which meant that there were a tiny number of people who actually uh, spoke their mind and dissented. Those people were then driven to the fringe, right? Jay being a great example, you know, professor of medicine at Stanford being dismissed as a quack, you know, because he opposed lockdowns. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, the point is, if you punish people strongly enough for dissenting, then you get very little dissent, and then you can claim that there's a consensus, and then you can punish people who question it because who are they to question the consensus? All yeah. doctors agree. Or surely, if we were wrong, there'd be people out there disagreeing with us. Right. So uh, anyway, uh, Rav and, and Jay have teamed up on uh, the illusion of consensus, and this piece that Rav put out this week is a, a continuation of a, a story that he's been doing, but this one focused on some of his experiences as a journalist trying to get his work into various publications. And he reports that he's been shut down by publications that basically flat out say, oh, well, we're a pro-vaccine publication. We're not going to publish your report that suggests that there's something to worry about because we're a pro-vaccine publication. What does that even mean? You're a journalistic publication. You should follow the evidence where it goes. You shouldn't have a perspective on these things going into it. Um but anyway, the, the, his current piece, Zach, do you want to show it? Yeah. No, the idea that there is a, a, a publication that purports to be uh, journalistic uh, claims a position in advance is 
utterly remarkable. It, it gives away the whole game right away. So yeah. here is uh, his piece. The Illusion of Consensus is the place that they've published it, or Ravis published it. And the title is <clears throat> Editor at, quote, pro-vaccine publication, end quote, experienced a serious adverse event after the second Pfizer shot. And what he does in this piece, uh, maybe scroll down, see if we can find the most relevant paragraph. Uh, keep going. He describes, uh, keep going. All right, I can't. Uh, anyway, he describes the case of an editor at a publication that was de facto pro-vaccine, who, after his second Pfizer shot, found himself, this is a young, very fit guy, uh, who found himself shaking violently, his heart pounding in his chest so that he felt it was going to explode. Um, and uh, he said he would have gone to the emergency room. This is a quote from the anonymized source of the story. But he says uh, that he would have gone to the emergency room, except that he, uh, he was also uh, delusional, right? Now, I wanted to highlight the story. He's... Uh, I would have gone to the hospital, but I was honestly also delirious and wasn't in my right mind. It was extremely scary. I woke up and my heart was still noticeably racing, but not super bad. My entire body was sore and I could barely walk. That led him to the following rational conclusion. I decided that would be my last COVID shot. Right. Now, okay, so the story is pretty shocking. I must say, not the only story that we have heard of this type. And there, there is a question, which I will get back People to. People experiencing adverse events who have a public stance uh, that they feel does not allow them to acknowledge that they have experienced something negative from the shot. Right. Now, I want to unpack a little bit the nature of the environment. I completely understand why somebody especially a young person who is not especially well-established yet, right? Yeah. I know what happens to them if they come out and they say, here is my story. Now, in my opinion, mm -hmm. if your story is true and it is relevant to a question on people's minds, I don't care if you're the only person who had an, out, uh, an adverse event from this shot right? Maybe you're the only person who had it. And by talking about your adverse event, you are going to cause alarm when in fact, statistically, the thing is so safe that that alarm is out of place. That is possible. But to me, you as a member of the public are entitled to have some developing sense of how dangerous something is based on how often you hear these stories. Yes. And if you hear one in a journalistic outfit, you know that that's not like hearing one from, you know, from your florist, right? Your florist is somebody you interact with. You have some idea how many people you interact with. You don't necessarily know how many people were census to get the one story into the journalistic publication, so you have to file it differently. You can't, you can't calibrate. You can't do sort of... Uh... Uh, impromptu probabilities on uh, hearing stories in journalistic outfits. Whereas if you know, oh, well, you know, I talk to you know, 40 people a week that I kind of know, 
And one of them said this, well, it's only one. Right. But you do have a sense of what that rate is in your own personal um, experience. Right. Now, you can look at Rav's story. Rav talks about, it's not like he went looking for the one person on earth who had this story. Rav was doing a journalistic job trying to get stories published. You have some sense. He's one person. You have some sense of how many journalistic publications there are. He reports on several of his interactions with several of them. And he says, and here's an interesting case, right? This comes from his personal experiences as somebody he has met. So it's not like your florist, but it's like somebody tells you, oh, here's what my florist told me, right? You still can't fully calibrate because I don't think, you know, Rav says, you know, I talked, I approached 30 outlets and there were two people at each and, you know, 50 of the total people told me some stories like we don't we don't know what his effective his non-scientific but his effective sample size right it's data i mean it's not data but it is evidence right it is evidence of something Mm -hmm. it cannot be properly calibrated but i wanted to point to something i keep mentioning i keep wanting to mention this and i keep forgetting to do it there's a phenomenon this is going to sound completely unrelated but you'll, you'll see the relevance in a second there's a phenomenon where back when i was a a bat biologist studying actual bats. If you catch a bat in a mist net and the bat starts to shriek, it is very likely that the next thing to happen is your net is going to fill with bats. It won't be all the same species, okay? This is the result of something called predator inspection, right? A screaming bat attracts other bats, not because they have a death wish, but because they want to know what the threat is in the environment because that piece of information is valuable, right? If some animal has grabbed a bat and is ripping it apart, other bats that see that animal know is the hazard in the trees, is the hazard on the ground, what sort of hazard is it, right? And the predator is busy at the moment. Exactly. So it's not terribly risky to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But the point is, the desire to have information about hazards is very, very ancient, right? And the ability mm. to take in that information and to alter your behavior rationally is a fundamental feature of navigating life. Now, in the last thing that we covered, you see that the thing that is supposed to be protecting you, the thing that is supposed to be integrating all of the information about the dangers and hazards and all of that is falling down on its job. Right? Yes. It's working for somebody else. So you are now your best defense. What are you going to do? Well, you should look for evidence that there might be something that you need to know that the people who should have alerted you are failing to do it. Who should be alerting you? Well, the FDA should be alerting me. Ah, this drug, we didn't approve it because X. And journalistic establishments should be alerting you. Ah, here are some stories that we've collected that you ought to know. Mm-hmm. They're not doing it, right? No. So now, No, they're not. So here's the point. You have a right to protect yourself and your family and your friends by processing information. You are being denied information, right? These maddening stories that happen where somebody has suddenly died, right? They've died suddenly, and there is no mention of what they have died of. And the question is obvious. It's not that we want to believe that they died of a particular thing, but if they did die of that particular thing, we are entitled to know that it happened right? Yes, we are. Yes, we are entitled to that information. We are entitled to that information. So this brings us back to this anonymized editor in Rav Aurora's story. Mm-hmm. I get why someone would not want to go public. 
it has been made very clear, and this is a feature, not a bug. It has been made very clear what happens to you if you start telling stories about what occurred after your vaccination, right? Mm -hmm. You will be punished. This is the most despicable thing imaginable because in each of these cases where somebody got vaccinated and they have a story, these are people who did what they were told. They listened. And now they have a story, and that story might be misleading. It might be a one-in-a-million story, you know, it's just dumb luck, right? Or it might be part of a pattern. Mm. They have the right to know if it's part of a pattern, and we have a right to know if it's part of a pattern. And the pattern seekers are not doing their goddamn jobs. The CDC and the FDA are not doing their jobs. The journalists are not doing their jobs. The journalistic establishments take a position on the safety of the vaccines before the author of the story even walks through the door. And those of us who are scientists and who, as a matter of our profession, seek pattern and seek to understand it, and who are trying to do exactly this job in part, are told, you're not allowed to do that. That's dangerous. Leave the pattern seeking to the authorities. There it is. But the authorities are refusing to do it. So if we're not allowed to do it, and the people who are supposed to be doing it aren't doing it, how is it going to get done? How will we ever know the truth? How will the truth come out? It won't. It won't. And yet there are still people yelling about how dangerous it is to actually try to understand this on our own, when literally none of the agencies and none of the journalistic outfits that we have been talking about have taken it on themselves to be honest or forthright about what is actually happening. They are busy confusing and burying truth. From the WHO to the CDC to the FDA to the various mainstream media outlets, that is what they are doing. The opposite of what they claim to be doing. The opposite of what they claim to be doing and based on an assumption that the tiniest amount of scrutiny reveals isn't true, right? Yes. The idea that vaccines are safe is wrong. Many vaccines have not been safe. Right? We have numerous examples where a vaccine has been given to people and then it was pulled from the market because it is dangerous. So the idea that what is causing you to have this reflexive reaction to all stories that go in the other direction is that there's an assumption buried in your model that these things have to be safe because they're vaccines. A, they're not. They're not vaccines. B, if they were, that wouldn't make them safe. Right. So the point is, look, don't pretend that people who got hurt when they went to get a vaccination are anti-vaxxers. I'm sorry, whatever that term might mean, it doesn't mean that, right? Right. I was injured by a tiger doesn't make me <laughs> tiger-phobic, tiger <laughs> right? The point is- Maybe now, but- <laughs> Right, I probably am, but I got a story and it will explain to you how I got there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, yeah, I'm frustrated by the transparent nature of the game. Yes. Right. Yes. You can threaten a person so that he will face the possibility of a cardiac arrest that will kill him and then will be silent about what caused it because he also has to figure out how to feed himself and his family for the rest of his life. Right. Get it. You've got leverage, but you don't have the right to that leverage. And to people who find themselves in this position, think you have a moral obligation to figure out how 
to bring your story out. Maybe Rav was the mechanism by mm -hmm. which the person called Ben in the story did this and that that was the best he could do because he needed to go on and continue to earn a living. At the same time, it was important that we have the story. So if that's what's going on, right, if Ben delivered the story to Rav because he was trying to thread that needle, then maybe that's the best you could do. And thanks for doing it. It's far better than there being no story. But right. it would be even better still if we had your example and we could talk to you about what happened to you and why you got the vaccine in the first place, how this changed your mind and whether how rare you think your situation is. Have you met others? Because I have. I've met lots of them, right? So, well, this is um, this is actually a good segue. I think we're going to save uh, talking about skeletal editing for another time, which is not nearly as exciting as it sounds. It's actually terrifying, but we'll save that. Um, we're going to talk about this book, "Where There Is No Doctor: A Village Healthcare Handbook" by David Werner. Um, this one, the one I'm holding up here for those of you just uh, just listening, says new revised edition, but this is our book. This is our copy from 1994. It's a second publishing uh, from the second edition, which was in 1992, originally published in 1977 in English, um, which was based on, a, it was a translation from the original in Spanish, Donde No Hay Doctor. I did not know that it was originally in Spanish, but either. apparently according to the frontispiece, the, the front pages of, of this book, it was originally in Spanish. Uh, so again, this, this copy of this book is from 1992, and there is apparently a new edition out last year, 2022. I have no idea how it has changed. I assume it has changed somewhat. Uh, it might be worth getting, but um, you know, one of very many reasons to have actual hard copies of books, the text in this, these pages have, has not changed. Okay, So what is this book? Why? Who cares? Where There Is No Doctor, A Village Health Handbook. The back cover says, this book is for the villager who lives far from medical centers. It explains in simple words and drawings what he can do to prevent, recognize, and treat many common sicknesses. This book is for the village storekeeper or pharmacist who sells medicines and healthcare supplies, explains which medicines are most useful, etc. This book is for the teacher in a rural school who will help him give practical advice and care to the sick and injured, etc. This book is for the village health worker, uh, and this book is for mothers and midwives uh, who will find useful the clear, easy to understand information for home birth, care of the mother, and child health. Um, so this, uh, we in the 90s, when we bought this book in, in 94, we were both doing work in, in remote places. And I, in particular, was spending a lot of time in um, very remote places in Madagascar. And I had this book with me in a couple of my longer field seasons uh, in Madagascar, where I was living for you know my, my longest field season, one of the only ones that you weren't with me on. Uh, for five months on a little island off the coast of Madagascar, living in a tent, showering in a waterfall, occasionally being attacked by lemurs. Uh, and um, and um, and needing to, you know, have, having taken effectively a small pharmacopoeia of, of antibiotics that uh, I'm, I might need and that could, you know, and things like antifungals and, and, and topical antibiotics and such. Um, but also this, this book uh, to, and, and a first aid kit. Uh, to help with things that that might happen, and um, this was a really good book to have. From the um, publisher page, we have this description, and you can show my screen just briefly while I read this one paragraph here. The most widely used manual for health workers, educators, and others involved in involved in primary care and health promotion around the world. 
newly updated in March 2022 to include the latest information on burn treatment, family planning, sexually transmitted infections, epilepsy treatment, vaccination treatment, and preventing malaria and HIV and COVID-19. And uh, one more thing, considered by the World Health Organization to be the most widely used healthcare manual in the world. This class of titles for health workers, clinicians, health educators, midwives, community leaders, and others involved in primary healthcare delivery and health promotion around the world. Uh, so that's that's the kind of thing that this book is is trying to do, and it really is is an excellent book. Um, and throughout it, oh, one more thing, I'll just read it from my screen. Throughout, there was an emphasis on addressing the underlying causes of poor health and a focus on cleanliness, healthy diet, vaccinations, and an appropriate cautious use of medication, including an examination of helpful and harmful home remedies. So just a little background on this book. Okay. Chapter 12, Prevention, How to Avoid Many Sicknesses. Oh, incidentally, I found in this, um, there's a, a section on rabies, and I found our original, the insert from our rabies vaccinations. <laughs> <laughs> rabies vaccine adsorbed. Uh, anyway, that's that's here. It's interesting. Right? I'd be curious to look at that. Yeah, I, I have I have not yet, but here, here we have that. Um, I will say it's been very effective. We have not, not had rabies. Not gotten rabies. Uh-uh, not, not once. Um <clears throat> Okay, prevent, uh, the top of chapter 12, prevention, how to avoid many sicknesses. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If we all took more care to eat well, to keep ourselves, our homes, and our villages clean, and to be sure that our children are vaccinated, we could stop most sicknesses before they start. In chapter 11, we discussed eating well. In this chapter, we talk about cleanliness and vaccination. And they talk a lot about personal hygiene and how to build and where to build uh latrines and how to maintain them and so that you know so you don't have you know fecal transfer of disease drinking water um, not smoking all of this and then they also talk about vaccines as i as i said so they've got um vaccinations simple sure protection again this is from 1992 vaccines give protection against many dangerous diseases if health workers do not vaccinate in your village take your children to the nearest health center to be vaccinated it is better to take them for vaccinations while they are healthy than to take them for treatment when they are sick or dying. Vaccinations are usually given free. The most important vaccines for children are, and they give six, six. DPT for diphtheria, whooping cough, that's pertussis and tetanus. Polio. BCG for tuberculosis. Measles. Not MMR, note, but measles. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Tetanus and smallpox. Now, two of those are not active vaccination, um, in the active vaccination schedule anymore, right? Polio and smallpox are not. And measles, the single measles vaccine has been replaced by MMR. Um, I don't know that tetanus may be in the third world, but um, it seems to me that tetanus is usually recommended only after exposure at this point. Maybe, mm, maybe, no? I don't think so. I think they okay. give tetanus and then every 10 years you're supposed to get another. And if you don't know when you got it and you have had a... a then you get an expo- a post-exposure thing. Yeah. yeah. And they don't recommend it for um, until, until you're um, an adolescent for this one. Um, so there's... Only six, and then they also have some warnings about vaccines spoil easily, and you know, making sure that um, that if you're either the one delivering it or receiving it, that all of the protocols have been followed. Um, so this is, you know, this is a book uh, that is um, pro vaccine, and um, talks explicitly about which ones 
admittedly a relatively short list uh, that you should, um, especially if you are in the rural developing world, should be sure to be vaccinated against. Now, let me just go back to the beginning here briefly and share with you the chapter titles for the table of contents, if I can figure out without knocking over the zebra where the table of contents is. Where the hell is it? Hold on. Um, it's There's a bunch of front there's pages. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a very interestingly laid out book, but um, the table of contents is not as easy to find as in some books because there's a lot of other useful information. Okay. Just the chapter titles through um, chapter nine. There are many after that. Chapter one, home cures and popular beliefs, in which they talk about home cures and they say that many home cures are far better than what you might get from uh, from a pharmacy, if you even have access to a pharmacy, but also talking about some home cures and beliefs that are likely to cause more harm than good. Chapter two, sicknesses that are often confused. They talk about the difference between non-infectious and infectious diseases. They talk, um, I believe, if I remember correctly, about the differences between, for instance, bacteria and viruses. Chapter three, how to examine a sick person. They go through um, all of the major systems of the body. Chapter four, how to take care of a sick person. Chapter five, healing without medicines, with the sections being healing with water and when water is better than medicines. Chapter six, right and wrong use of modern medicines. Chapter seven, antibiotics, what they are and how to use them. Chapter eight, how to measure and give medicine. And chapter nine, and there are many chapters after this, but this is where I'm going to stop uh, for the moment, instructions and precautions for injections. Okay, so let's, let's go there to instructions and precautions for injections. Page 65, where they say, again, top of chapter nine, and they've got, you probably can't see it, but they've got a, a syringe right up close there with a question mark through it. They've got a drawing of a syringe with a question mark, which is their indication of like, should you or shouldn't you? Again, I read already um, the part of the book that says, here's the recommended child vaccine vaccination schedule as of 1992. When to inject and when not to. Injections are not needed often. Most sicknesses that require medical treatment can be treated as well or better with medicines taken by mouth. As a general rule, it is more dangerous to inject medicine than to take it by mouth. Injection, injection should be used only when absolutely necessary. Except in emergencies, they should be given only by health workers or persons trained in their use. And then let's just go back a little bit to chapter six, right and wrong uses of modern medicines. And find this. And what they have at the top here is a gun shooting pills. Okay? So they're saying, they've already said, Better not to use medicine at all if you can avoid it. Water, good food, rest, all of that is safer than medicine. If you have to have medicine, better a pill than a shot. And a shot is your last resource. Okay? Chapter 6, Right and Wrong Uses of Modern Medicines. Some medicines sold in pharmacies or village stores can be very useful, but many are of no value. Of the 60,000 medicines sold in most countries, the World Health Organization says that only about 200 are necessary. Remember when the World Health Organization made sense? Mm. Okay, back yeah. to the book. Necessary. Uh, Ivermectin being on that list. Yes, indeed. Also, people some I don't know if it was in 1992, though. It was discovered in the early 80s. I don't know yeah. if it was on the Who's uh, yeah, list of essential yeah. medicines in 1992 or not. Back to the reading from the, the book again, uh, where there is no doctor. Also, people sometimes use the best medicines in the wrong way, so that they do more harm than good. To be helpful, medicine must be used correctly. 
Many people, including most doctors and health workers, prescribe far more medicines than are needed, and by so doing, cause much needless sickness and death. Are you listening, FDA? (laughs) There is some danger in the use of any medicine. Some medicines are much more dangerous than others. Unfortunately, people sometimes use very dangerous medicines for mild sicknesses. I have seen a baby die because his mother gave him a dangerous medicine, chloramphenicol, for a cold. Never use a dangerous medicine for a mild illness. Remember, medicines can kill. This is careful, nuanced, reasonable medical advice aimed at a population who would not necessarily have access to what was considered the most up-to-date and most high-tech medicine available to those of us in what we then called the developed world. No, what we then called the first world. Now we would call it the developed world, as opposed to the developing world. That is the sanest thing I have heard from anything official purporting to give health advice at a wide level in any sort of a mainstream format since about this time. Like, where... And I, you know, I think we will get. I'll, I'll order the 2022 book and see if it still makes sense. And I don't know if it will or not, but it cites the Who favorably, and the Who cites this book on the publisher's site favorably as providing the skills and the information necessary for people to take their own health into their own hands. This is what we need. I would love to know, uh, I have the sense that um, this book would be de facto sacrilege in a modern medical context because modern yeah. medicine has become so pill happy. Yeah. Um, but I'd be interested to know what what doctors would think, how inconsistent this is with the training that they receive, which does make them overly aggressive uh, with treatments. It makes them uh, underrate the danger of iatrogenic harm. Yep. Um, Iatrogenic harm, which should probably be dichotomized. There's iatrogenic harm that comes because somebody did the right thing for you and, you know, you got unlucky. And then there's iatrogenic harm that is completely avoidable, that is the result of bad drug combinations or wrong drug prescribed or, uh, you know, you put on a ventilator when you shouldn't have been. I guess there might be a third category. Maybe this isn't considered iatrogenic, but, uh, you know, just, just the fact of being in a hospital puts you at greater risk for contract, for getting something like MRSA. Yeah. Right. Um, and I guess I, I feel like that should be under the rubric of iatrogenic harm, but I'm not sure that it that it falls there. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but the amount of iatrogenic harm, even if that's excluded, is so large yeah. um, that anyway, there's a very different conversation we should be having. And it should be a conversation that is taken as baseline when we get to the question of, you know, a one size fits all public health prescription for a pandemic, for example, right? What are the chances that this is going to result in a massive iatrogenic crisis um, that we don't see coming because that's the nature of them? Um, we never had that discussion. No, no, we don't. Um, and there's, you know, I, <clears throat> those parts of the book that I just shared were mostly not parts that I had been familiar with before because uh, I 
you know, we had been vaccinated against rabies and yellow fever and a few other tropical diseases that seemed important to be vaccinated against, given where uh, you and I are both working. I took with me courses of antibiotics, you know, one of which almost certainly contributed to me rupturing my Achilles tendon, you know, decades later, yep. uh, the, the Cipro, the, um, something floxamine, I can't remember the class of ciprofloxin. Yeah, but no, but the class of oh, drugs, um, to which it belongs, uh, are known now to, uh, cause, to put, uh, soft tissue, specifically, uh, ligament and tendons at risk, um, both in the moment while you're on them and, uh, long-term, the more, the more you've been on them. Uh, but, you know, I would, I would do some research in advance and take with me what seemed, um, to be most likely to be protective against the things I was most likely to run into and be very sparing, uh, uh, in, in taking those things. But, you know, mostly this book was about, um, you know, what to do in case of, uh, you know, extremely urgent problems, like you've broken something, yep. uh, or you need, you know, you need to, you know, so, someone, someone near you is experiencing something and you need to figure out like what things you can do that are going to maximize them surviving, uh, and you not doing damage to them as you try to help. Uh, and so, you know, having, having such a book in one's, in one's personal library that you're in the field with is incredibly useful. And yet I feel like now I'm so grateful to have it in our library here in the United States. Right. And I think that most Americans should have both such such a book and also the expertise that they glean from reading such a book. Because increasingly the the caution about medication represented in this book is the opposite of what you're going to get if you actually go to someone who is paid to help you stay or get healthy. And um, that's that seems to be just like the FDA is doing the opposite of what I believe it is supposed to be doing. It seems to me that the entire medical profession and therefore most of the people who are medical professionals are doing the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but we're living in an era where we have uh, near universal violations of the Nuremberg Code and the Hippocratic Oath, yes. that's an era in which you need a book for, uh, you know, what happens if your doctor is captured by pharma. <laughs> yeah, there's no chat. That's <laughs> not, there's no, no chapter on that. This is too early, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, there's information on testing for glaucoma, infection of the tear sac. Uh, yeah, a lot just so what to do with allergic reactions, you know, asthma, tapeworm, but so good. Yeah. So good. And, um, yeah, uh, get a copy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe, uh, I'll get the 2022 version and, uh, do a quick perusal and see how it compares Good. and, and come back with that. Um, all right. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. Well, we will, Take a bit of a break here and then come back with a live Q&A. You can ask questions at darkhorsesubmissions.com. And uh, the Q&A is only going to be on Rumble. So if you're watching on YouTube, switch over to Rumble now and subscribe to the channel. It does help us out. And, uh, and you only have to do it once. 
on YouTube, you subscribe and you just have to keep redoing it over and over and over again. Maybe not everyone, but a lot of people report that to us. Hey, I got unsubscribed again. Well, on Rumble, they're not going to do that to you. So subscribe to the channel on Rumble and uh, consider asking a question at darkhorsesubmissions.com. We'll be doing that Q&A shortly and then we'll be back same time next week. We are coming up starting in July, going to uh, start doing these live streams on a different day. We're going to start doing them on Wednesdays. Haven't decided yet on when. Uh, but we will uh, give, we will start to talk about that as it as it approaches, and uh, you can uh, find us at Rumble on YouTube if you must, but on Rumble especially on our Patreons. Uh, check out Brett's new uh, subscription thing on Twitter, and read what I have to say on Natural Selections at Substack. Read our book, and until we see you next time, be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Just say no to drug companies.